You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. I um, have literally spent my entire adult life in some form of ministry. And uh, that means for at least the last 20-some years that I've come to know well what it means to celebrate new babies, to see baptisms, to, to see folks married, to see those marriages produce children. So I've I've, um, come to know well the joy that life in Christ means for the church. And no matter how many of those experiences that I've had over the years, there's nothing like these moments of suffering. The New City Catechism's um, first question asks, it says, what is our only hope in life and death? And it's answer that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. I wish um, I came to this podium today to say that I I had the answer to um, the sadness the reality is, tonight I, I too am longing. It's, it's one thing for uh, the preacher to preach about suffering when, when life feels great. But when hurt comes and, and you got to find strength to get through it, that's, that's something different, church. So you, you got to forgive me if tonight's message doesn't come across in the refined way that I'm used to. But I think what, what we need tonight is simply to be pointed to Jesus, even in the midst of what feels like unjust suffering. The first verse of tonight's text calls our attention to the suffering of Christ in the flesh. The scriptures 
speak of the flesh as both uh, a physical manifestation of our bodies, but also the spiritual notion of flesh in which we come to mortify sin. Peter uh, reveals his genius, though, because he says that we are to then arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And what thinking is that? It's the thinking that led Jesus to joyfully endure the cross. Notice, though, he says that we are to be armed with it. We are to be weaponized by it. It's to take on the armor of his righteousness granted to us through his sufferings on the cross. Jesus' suffering landed him in a seat at the right hand of God the Father on the very throne of heaven. And if Jesus is our model for faith, you've got to know that you cannot escape suffering. The Apostle Paul, I know, understood this. Because he writes, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so if you're feeling the pain of suffering tonight, know that it has absolutely nothing on his glory. Peter, though, gives us this verse almost as if it's some form of mathematical equation. So get this. He says that the sufferings of Christ plus being armed with the same way of thinking equals the ceasing of sin. This is the kind of math we need to hear tonight that the Christ who suffered for us and when we take on the same way of sacrificial love Thinking in this way, only then, he says, the sin ceases. You want to know how to end sin? Think like Jesus. The second verse, though, calls us not to waste our days on human passions, but on the very will of God. It's interesting for me that Peter tells us here not to waste our time on our passions. Probably, though, Because not all passions for me are bad. Just as a reflection of my own life, I'm passionate about my health, so I've worked hard to lose weight. I I work out with a trainer. I've adapted a pescatarian diet. I'm passionate about learning and great art of all kinds. But Peter says, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life on passion but on the will of God. If you're breathing now, know that that comes only because God himself has ordained it. And if you're sitting here under the sound of my voice, know too that God has ordained it. Why? Because it's his will for us. And let me assure you, fam, that nothing that has happened or will happen surprises God. What happened this weekend did not catch God blindsided. sight. 
You know, the, the true difference between the things we're passionate about as opposed to the will of God is that our passions, even when they're good things, are only about us. The will of God, though, is about his plan and purpose for our world. Our passions, they, they feel good to us. That's, that's why we enjoy them. That's why we're so deeply committed to them. But the will of God is often complicated. It leads to suffering. We, we have no idea what's going on and we miss the beauty of his glory. Verse 3, though, reminds us that we've already wasted so much of our lives on the foolish things of this world. Verses 4 and 5 tells us to not be surprised when the people of the empire talk about us for not joining them because Jesus will judge them. Verse 6 says that another uh, one of those weird verses that I simply contend is just a reminder that you can't out God's great love for you. In verse 7, because Christ is sure to return uh, while we are called to submission and consistency of God's will for our lives. Verses 8 and 9, though, says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I haven't been able to shake this verse from my mind since receiving this news. Just a few weeks ago, I was preaching at Redeemer and between the services, Tripp was the first to come up to me and he hugged me. He said, brother, I, I said, I'm sorry, but I just want to tell you how proud we are of you. I've been in ministry for a long time. Those are words nobody had ever told me before. Even through the last year, my daughter Naraya, little Elizabeth, were a part of a little Bible study for just teenage girls. And I'd go to pick Naraya up, and Tripp would be there to pick up Elizabeth, and we'd stand outside and talk. I remember he being one of the first to reach out to me in what still feels like not too long ago when I lost my brother to COVID. And Tripp was there. Something in him, I know, understood that to love others earnestly meant to love with authenticity. A love that is driven by Christ's love for us to seek his goodness, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of, of others. 
Peter says, though, that we are to do this because love covers a multitude of sin. There is no greater example of this than Christ's sacrifice for us. And as believers in him, we are called to display this love to the world. I wanted to um, to tell you tonight about how hospitality is about growing intimacy through fellowship and support through sharing a meal and laughing together and offering help and sympathy in time of need when I realized that I couldn't say any of that without remembering my brother Jim. I'm forever grateful for how God used them to show true hospitality as the fellowship of God's people on the basis of truth and love that Christ might be so glorified that others might come to believe in him. Finally, then in verses 10 and 11, we see that as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Each of us has been uniquely gifted by God as we are to use this gift for the edification of our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And we do this by faithfully serving one another. Notice, though, that Peter says that we are to be good stewards of God's varied grace. I love this verse because it's a helpful reminder that while his grace is sufficient for all, his application for us is distinctive and unique for us. His grace is the measure of his goodness that produces in us this free gift of salvation for those who are undeserved. I don't know about you, but tonight I'm keenly aware of how undeserving I am tonight. The reality that I need his gracious love for me. And that even in this tragedy, God is revealing himself to us as gracious and kind master who is abundant in his love for us, even when we fall short. So hold fast. Hold fast. Hold fast when fear my faith will fail because Christ will hold me fast when the tempter would prevail he will hold me fast 
I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last bought by him at such a cost. Because he will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. For he will hold me fast. Raised with him to end this life. He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight. When he comes. At last. Come Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus.